Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Truth Hurts program, December 7th, 2021, the third edition for today. There's just so much to talk about, folks, just so very, very much. I'm your host, Steve Z. This is the Truth Hurts program where we tell it like it is. We expose the lies of the left. We expose the double standard in politics, the hype and the hypocrisy. I just read an article in the Washington Examiner, and I want to read it to you. I know not everybody gets the Washington Examiner. Christopher Tremugli wrote yesterday, The working class won big under Trump's tax cuts and jobs acts. Data from the IRS showed that President Donald Trump's tax cuts, known as the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, helped lower and middle-income households the most, according to a report by the Heartland Institute. Moreover, it led to lower average income tax rates for taxpayers in every income bracket. And this information was based on a comparison of tax returns between 2017 to 2018, the first year the law went into effect. According to the Heartland Institute, taxpayers with adjusted gross incomes between $40,000 to $50,000 per year received an average tax cut of 18.2% after accounting for all tax deductions and credits. And that was a direct result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Additionally, the legislation improved the socioeconomic status of many American citizens. In fact, data shows that taxpayers with an adjusted gross income of $1 to $25,000 decreased by more than $2 million in just one year, while the number of households reporting incomes higher than $25,000 a year increased in every income bracket, according to the Institute. I'll explain that one quickly. People saying their adjusted gross income between $1 and $25,000 per year went down. Less people, in other words, were reported to make below $25,000 a year under Donald Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We had fewer people on welfare, fewer people on food stamps, fewer people on government assistance, more people working, more people earning, more people paying taxes, but paying less taxes than before individually. But when more people contribute to the pot, even if it's a little less than less people contributing to the pot with more of their incomes, it's better for the nation. Despite all the hype, the lies, and the propaganda that Democrats advanced trying to claim the bill was a tax cut for the wealthy, data on the Donald Trump Tax Cuts and Jobs Act showed that higher income earners paid an even larger share of the total tax burden in 2018 than they did the year before the Jobs Act and Tax Cut Act went into effect. Taxpayers who earned more than a half a billion dollars a year paid 41.5% of the total income taxes to the federal treasury in the year 2018. Back before Donald Trump put that law into effect in 2017, the people making half a billion or more 
paid only 38.9% of total taxes. Donald Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act actually made the rich pay more of their, quote, fair share, unquote, than Barack Hussein Obama's tax programs the year before. The Heartland Institute even compiled a list of claims that were made by Speaker of the House naughty, nasty, Nazi Nancy Pelosi about that bill. November of 2017, Nancy Pelosi claimed, quote, Despite Republicans' empty promises to cut taxes for the middle-class working families, it's clear that the GOP tax plan for the wealthiest is rich indeed. The data I just told you proved that she was lying. She was wrong. She was incorrect. Because again, people who made more than $500,000 a year paid more in taxes under Donald Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act than they did the year before under Barack Hussein Obama's tax scheme. Pelosi also said, The truth is already catching up with the GOP's snake oil pitch. Instead of pushing a deficit-exploding handout to corporations and the wealthy that increases taxes on millions of hard-working families, Republicans must join Democrats to work on bipartisan tax reform that puts the middle class first. That, of course, was a lie. The data, the raw numbers, even the refined numbers, prove that Donald Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act helped the lower and middle class and taxed the rich more so than the Democratic plan. You might recall when naughty, nasty Nazi Nancy Pelosi acted like a child and tore up the State of the Union address speech copy while she stood behind Donald Trump in 2020. She claimed that she did so because Trump's speech was filled with lies However, Pelosi doesn't hold herself to the same standards of truth because, after all, in Democrat land, the double standard is their way of life. Remember this the next time you hear Pelosi or Joe Biden talk about anything. My thanks to Chris Tremugli for writing that piece in the Washington Examiner. This is the Truth Hurts Program. There's a new study outlining the, quote, high cost of extreme heat in Phoenix, unquote, written by someone named Anita Snow. How's that for irony? In the Associated Press, it says extreme heat is expensive. And that's the conclusion of a study presented Monday by the Nature Conservancy, which commissioned a look at the cost of high temperatures in Phoenix, Arizona. Stop the article. Hold on. When they built Phoenix, Arizona, they built it in the middle of a hot desert. Of course, temperatures are hot in a desert, you idiots. And if you choose to build in an extreme climate, such as a desert, the costs will be higher. The cost to build, the cost to maintain, the cost to heat and cool will naturally be higher, especially with the inflation brought upon by gropey Joe Biden and Camel Toe Harris's administration. 
they actually commissioned a study, which meant they probably hired a bunch of college professors and paid them lots and lots of money. And those college professors, of course, used grad students and interns to do all of the work to put the study together. And then those college professors signed off on the study. They actually paid a government contractor, AECOM. They claimed to be an infrastructure consulting firm, working with the Nature Conservancy, a supposedly nonprofit environmental organization, saying, quote, As Phoenix continues to urbanize and its population expands, the benefits of adapting to extreme heat may only increase, as well as the consequences of inaction. To implement the ambitious solution scenarios and realize the associated benefits, both the public and private sector will need to play an active role. It's a freaking desert. It's hot in a desert. And if you choose to build or expand your building in a desert, it is going to cost you more money to cool your stupid building. Phoenix is in the middle of a desert where the temperatures are always scorching. But according to this report, supposedly man-caused climate change has made the temperatures rise even further. It is a desert. Phoenix is growing by leaps and bounds. I think they're the fifth or sixth largest city in the nation. The city alone has a population of 1.6 million people. Cram a bunch of hot bodies, driving cars, and heating homes in the wintertime. You're going to have a temperature rise. A lot of that has to do with the fact that they have black tar roofs and black asphalt roads, which absorb heat. It's a desert, my friends. Extreme heat supposedly costs the people in Metro Phoenix $7 million a year in emergency room visits and hospitalizations due to heat-related illnesses. Why are you living in a desert, idiots? Why would you choose to live in a place where the temperature can be 118 degrees once or twice a summer and then bitch and complain because it's hot? Move to Minnesota. Move to Wyoming. Move to North Dakota. Move to Wisconsin. Why do you choose to live in a desert? Idiots. This article is complete with photographs of people in sweltering heat waiting at bus stops with their magic COVID masks on their faces. And one woman drinking from a bottle of water. They now want to study planting more trees, which will, afford, of course, change this from being a desert to being a non-desert. They don't realize deserts are necessary in Earth's existence. Deserts are necessary just as rainforests are necessary, just as deltas and marshes are necessary, just as fields and forests are necessary. I keep telling you people, stop effing with Mother Nature, but you don't listen. 
They say they want to plant enough trees to provide a canopy for a quarter of the desert city. And they want to cover all of the buildings with cool roofs made of reflective materials that don't absorb heat. And they claim that could save the city billions of dollars over the next 30 years. Well, it could. It also could not. It's like Schrodinger's cat. You put it in a box, leave it there for a week, unfed. It's either alive or it's dead. But until you open the box and determine whether it's alive or dead, it is both alive and dead. We might be able to save money if we put cool roofs and plant trees all over the city of Phoenix, but we might not save money. We won't know until 30 years have passed. And then, if it didn't work, we'll just have a little article that says, it didn't work, move on. It's a money grab. It's a boondoggle. It's another pork barrel spending process that the Democrats embrace on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly basis, especially while they are in power. Let's talk about that school shooting in Michigan. As has been the case with so many other school shootings over the past several years, the murder at Oxford High School in suburban Detroit could have been avoided if actions had been taken in the face of several ominous warning signs, according to experts. Ethan Crumbly is a 15-year-old child. He is charged with murdering four fellow students and wounding with intent to kill seven others. He's being charged with domestic terrorism. There were serious signs leading up to this tragedy. There usually are. And those signs should have alerted people that Crumbly was a serious threat. Well, sure, he was a serious threat. Kid in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting was a serious threat. They're all serious threats. But because these are wide-eyed white kids, they're even further vilified, demonized, castigated. They are made out to be the face of the gun problem in America. They try to blame the gun. When it is not the gun, it is the person shooting the gun. That is the problem. Crumbly's parents have also been charged... Because, rightfully so, parents should be responsible for the actions of their children. My question is, when a 13% AA hyphenated child in Detroit, or New Orleans, or Los Angeles, or New York, or St. Louis, or Louisville, or Minneapolis, or any other stronghold of Democrat land, pulls out a gun and kills someone at a convenience store, Why is the child simply put into the juvenile system and his parents not also be charged with being complicit in those actions? Well, that doesn't fit a narrative, my friends. And then the jail would be filled with a bunch of baby mamas and baby daddies. The juvenile detention centers would be filled with churin being charged as adults. You see, there is an obvious double standard. It is applied against the black community as much as it is applied for the black community. Crumbly, the 15-year-old in the Detroit suburb at Oxford High School, was a white kid. So, of course, network outlets like CNN and MSNBC and CBS and ABC and NBC, who were open to gun control and taking away your Second Amendment rights, They are plastering this kid's picture and his parents' picture on every single newscast, and not just for a 30-second blurb. 
They're delving into the lives and the doings of the Crumbly family. And they're trying to make it out that this was a pre-planned, premeditated attack by a white kid. Oakland prosecutor Karen McDonald, a Democrat, told CNN there is a strong possibility Crumbly had the gun used in the killings in his backpack when he met with school officials and his parents. You see, he's been displaying disciplinary problems for quite some time. On the day of the shooting, he was actually summoned to the school office for misbehaving. His parents were called in, an indication that officials were taking the latest incident more seriously than the previous times that he had been called to the principal's office. Listen, I can tell you, having been a substitute teacher, having family members in education for over 36 years, if we simply charged every parent of every child who ever misbehaved, every annoying or aggravating child who got sent to the principal's office, we would have us a mess of people in jail and the country would have no productivity. There are some very few model students out there. And there are some very highly questionable and suspect students out there who probably need some attention. But in the middle, the vast majority of students just go about their daily lives. And sometimes they might get on a teacher's nerve. Maybe the teacher doesn't like the cut of their hair or the style of their dress or the way that they smeared, or sneered rather, or smirked at the teacher when they walked by. There are some children like Ethan Crumbly that deserve to be punished for their actions. But there are probably thousands of other Tyrones and Lakeishas out there who they simply say, nah, he's just a troubled youth. He comes from a broken home. He has a single mother or whatever other excuse they make. I don't see on the news when a 13% AA hyphenated American student stabs someone at school or shoots someone at school. They don't haul their parents in and charge their parents with homicide or negligent homicide or manslaughter. Those mamas, those baby mamas, those baby daddies, they be knowing their children be having guns. They be giving their children guns. They be teaching their children to go out at night and pull on car door handles and break into homes and steal guns. But they're not being hauled before the television cameras and the courts and being accused as being parties to the bad actions of their churins. It's a double standard. Crumbly's parents, James and Jennifer Crumbly, imagine that white family with all the same last name, the husband, the wife, and the child. They, the parents, had been charged with four counts each of homicide and involuntary manslaughter. James Crumbly reportedly bought the gun that Ethan is charged with, that he used in the murders, supposedly, and that he supposedly gave the gun to his son. The question is, why would a father do that? And why was the weapon not properly secured so it could not be taken anywhere without parental notice, permission, or supervision, especially to a school? Maybe it didn't go down like that. Maybe the child saw daddy put in the five-digit code to the gun safe time and time again. Maybe 
He learned of the code because the dad might have a password book somewhere in the house with passwords to his computer, to his porn collection, to his gun safe. We don't know why this child did what he did. They're also asking questions like, did Ethan ask Daddy to purchase the gun for him? What reason would he have given for asking James Crumbly? Did James Crumbly even have the wherewithal to ask his son why you want a gun? Why would a father give a son to a gun with a record of school discipline problems? These are all the questions the liberal media is putting out there to try and automatically make any potential jurors want to vote guilty against the parents for the actions of their kid. Again, I ask you, if Crumbly's parents are responsible and have to pay the price for Crumbly's criminal activity, why don't Lakeisha and Leticia and Laquasha and Tyrone and Lil James, why don't their parents get called before the courts each and every time a 13% double-A hyphenated minority child does something bad. It is a case of a double standard. This is truly organized systemic racism against the white kid and letting the black kids slide for their criminal activities. You don't think many black kids have been called to the principal's office? You don't think many black kids have disciplinary problems? Why are they not being scrutinized in the way that they claim Crumbly should have been scrutinized? At the arrangement, Crumbly's lawyers pleaded not guilty. Ethan is not talking to investigators, and guess what? He has a constitutional right against self-incrimination. The Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution allows him to keep his mouth shut, and apparently this kid is smart enough to do so. It is a sad commentary on the times in which we live that cops are increasingly needing to be present inside and outside schools and churches and metal detectors are popping up in more and more of these places. Of course, no parents should have to worry about sending their child off to school in the morning thinking this might be the last time they see them alive. What happened at Oxford High School was evil. Evil can be resisted. It can be overcome if people are proactive in their thinking. But it has to be equal across the board. Equitable, equality, equity, fairness. If you want to start looking at every student who has a discipline history, that's fine. But if you only want to look at the white kids, that's racism in the grandest definition of racism. And unfortunately, my friends, in the United States of America, systemic racism exists in both directions where black folks get slide and get to pass by and not get prosecuted for the same actions that a white person will be rolled under the bus drawn and quartered and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law this is the truth hurts program In their latest effort to radically transform America, destroy the democracy, expand the size, the scope, and the power of the federal government, 
The evil Senate Majority Leader, Democrat Chuckles the Clown Schumer, has vowed to pass President Gropy Joe Biden's so-called Build Back Better Act before this Christmas. That will certainly be a Grinch-like move. The $1.75 trillion plan, as they announced it, which will more likely cost over $5 trillion, passed the House on November 19th. And it will force states to fund unsustainable programs and further blur the lines between federal and state governments. The states' rights people must be losing their minds. The promise of more federal money comes as many states prepare to spend a second round of the so-called $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act funds and receive funds from the so-called $1.2 trillion Infrastructure Act of Joe Biden, the one that really doesn't do very much for actual infrastructure at all. A further influx of federal cash will overwhelm states already swamped with more money than they can possibly spend efficiently or effectively, and will fuel and sustain and expand higher levels of inflation. The cost-sharing provisions and strict spending conditions of the Build Back Better Act will shift significant portion of the bill's costs down to state governments, while forcing the states to implement progressive policy priorities in order to qualify for federal grants. They're dangling the carrot, and they don't let you see the stick. These requirements are part of the claim that the legislation is completely paid for, even though the Congressional Budget Office has proven on paper it is not paid for. It's a sleight of hand. It's a shell game put forth by the Biden administration and the Democratic Party to make you think it's paid for at the federal level. All they're doing is shifting the costs down to the state level and then requiring that the states jump through hoops and obey their progressive wish list plans in order to get the money they're promising to the states. Green New Deal? Yep, it's in there. Medicare expansion? Yep, it's in there. Medicaid expansion? Yep, it's in there. Universal free government paid for pre-kindergarten with the costs shifted directly to the states when the federal share runs out? Yep, that's in there. Massive federal funding programs have always led to unsustainable spending at the state level. For example, federal relief funds in the American Rescue and Recovery Act of 2009, that the Obama-Biden stimulus, made states have to establish new programs for education that the feds demanded in order for those states to get the federal money. The federal money was only available short term, and once the funds dried up, the states found themselves on the hook for a multitude of programs that they didn't want in the first place, and the federal government then refused to continue to pay for. Various provisions of the so-called Build Back Better Act will also force, will also force states to adopt, to implement, and to fund programs, and then the federal money will simply dry up. That will leave the states once again on the hook for paying for progressive, liberal, woke, socialist programs that the states don't want to begin with. 
The official Build Back Better website outlines the administration's plans to subordinate state governments, including that universal pre-K, the expansion of the Child Care and Development Block Grant Program, and others. It places a significant financial burden of universal pre-K directly upon the states, and it allows local entities to bypass the states and directly access some federal funds on a temporary basis. This, of course, bypasses the wishes of taxpayers as well as their duly elected state representatives who wisely do not want to participate in this federal government expansion. And once again, when the federal funding expires, it'll be the state and local governments responsible for covering the increase of in costs generated by these unfunded mandates, and they will not be able to stop the federally required programs from continuing. It's like your government telling you tomorrow, you have to buy an Amana radar range microwave oven and put it in the middle of your front yard and connect it to the electrical grid. And you must run that Amana radar range electric device six hours every day. And for the first six months, the federal government is going to pay you for your electricity usage. You have to continue using it even after the federal funds stop, and they will stop. And from then on, you have to pay the increased cost of your electric bill because that requirement is a federal requirement, even though they, the federal government, will not pay for it. That's a lousy example, but it gets the job done. The Biden administration is also promising to expand Medicaid to more than 800,000 Americans on state waiting lists. And then... He's going to pull the funding and make the states be on the hook. It's an extreme alteration of intergovernmental relations that put Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal and Lyndon Johnson's Great Society to shame. This BBB will force states to choose to not expand Medicaid to have to expand Medicaid. It will force them to do so. It's a dystopian model in which the federal government manages every aspect of every American's life from birth to death, as long as they're on the government dole and agree to continue to vote Democrat. The coercion of states to embrace progressive policies doesn't stop with education or Medicaid. It's also planning to force states to adopt elements of the Green New Deal under the false pretenses and guise of environmental justice. Provisions include $250 million in grants to state and local governments to expand what they call equitable outdoor access to non-federal lands for members of what they're calling underserved groups. In addition, $250 million to support underserved forest landowners to assist in what they're calling climate mitigation and carbon sequestration and storage. These grants will allow national lawmakers to achieve Green New Deal goals by commandeering state and local government control over state as well as privately owned land. This will erase the division of authority between states and federal governments that were established by the United States Constitution. Through what they call conservative, I'm sorry, through what they call coercive federalism, The Build Back Better Act will confiscate states' powers as independent governments 
and then establish them as submissive tools to implement their extreme agenda. The dangers of the BBB extend beyond concern over legislation's wasteful spending on desert fresh, fish and freshwater mussels, on drug price controls, on inflation-causing problems. It will contribute to the national debt, and if it is enacted, this legislation will allow the federal government to fundamentally reorder the American system of government beyond even that which Barack Hussein Obama envisioned. Maybe he's behind the whole thing. After all, someone has to be pulling gropey Joe Biden's strings. That man's not mentally capable or competent to come up with such a subversive, coercive, progressive program. To preserve our constitutional federalism and states' rights, Congress must reject the Build Back Better Act, lock, stock, and barrel. And yes, that's a gun reference. Call your congressperson, call your senator. It's already passed the House. There's not much we can do now there. Call your senator and tell them you want them to reject the Build Back Better Act because it is destroying the United States of America as we know it. That, my friends, is all the time. I apologize. We've run a couple minutes long here. But again, doing the program from the cell phone instead of the studio kind of makes it a little difficult to control the time. Go out there and make it a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time. In their latest effort to radically transform America, destroy the democracy, expand the size, the scope, and the power of the federal government, the evil Senate Majority Leader, Democrat Chuckles the Clown Schumer, has vowed to pass President Gropy Joe Biden's so-called Build Back Better Act before this Christmas. That will certainly be a Grinch-like move. The $1.75 trillion plan, as they announced it, which will more likely cost over $5 trillion, passed the House on November 19th, and it will force states to fund unsustainable programs and further blur the lines between federal and state governments. The states' rights people must be losing their minds. The promise of more federal money comes as many states prepare to spend a second round of the so-called $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act funds and receive funds from the so-called $1.2 trillion Infrastructure Act of Joe Biden, the one that really doesn't do very much for actual infrastructure at all. A further influx of federal cash will overwhelm states already swamped with more money than they can possibly spend efficiently or effectively and will fuel and sustain and expand higher levels of inflation. The cost-sharing provisions and strict spending conditions of the Build Back Better Act will shift significant portion of the bill's costs down to state governments while forcing the states to implement progressive policy priorities in order to qualify for federal grants. They're dangling the carrot, and they don't let you see the stick. 
These requirements are part of the claim that the legislation is completely paid for, even though the Congressional Budget Office has proven on paper it is not paid for. It's a sleight of hand. It's a shell game put forth by the Biden administration and the Democratic Party to make you think it's paid for at the federal level. All they're doing is shifting the costs down to the state level and then requiring that the states jump through hoops and obey their progressive wish list plans in order to get the money they're promising to the states. Green New Deal? Yep, it's in there. Medicare expansion? Yep, it's in there. Medicaid expansion? Yep, it's in there. Universal free government paid for pre-kindergarten with the costs shifted directly to the states when the federal share runs out? Yep, that's in there. Massive federal funding programs have always led to unsustainable spending at the state level. For example, federal relief funds in the American Rescue and Recovery Act of 2009, that the Obama-Biden stimulus, made states have to establish new programs for education that the feds demanded in order for those states to get the federal money. The federal money was only available short term, and once the funds dried up, the states found themselves on the hook for a multitude of programs that they didn't want in the first place, and the federal government then refused to continue to pay for. Various provisions of the so-called Build Back Better Act will also force will also force states to adopt, to implement, and to fund programs, and then the federal money will simply dry up. That will leave the states once again on the hook for paying for progressive, liberal, woke, socialist programs that the states don't want to begin with. The official Build Back Better website outlines the administration's plans to subordinate state governments, including that universal pre-K, the expansion of the Child Care and Development Block Grant Program, and others. It places a significant financial burden of universal pre-K directly upon the states, and it allows local entities to bypass the states and directly access some federal funds on a temporary basis. This, of course, bypasses the wishes of taxpayers, as well as their duly elected state representatives, who wisely do not want to participate in this federal government expansion. And once again, when the federal funding expires, it'll be the state and local governments responsible for covering the increase of in costs generated by these unfunded mandates, and they will not be able to stop the federally required programs from continuing. It's like your government telling you tomorrow, you have to buy an Amana radar range microwave oven and put it in the middle of your front yard and connect it to the electrical grid. And you must run that Amana radar range electric device six hours every day. And for the first six months, the federal government is going to pay you for your electricity usage. You have to continue using it even after the federal funds stop, and they will stop. And from then on, you have to pay the increased cost of your electric bill because that requirement is a federal requirement, even though they, the federal government, will not pay for it. That's a lousy example, but it gets the job done.
The Biden administration is also promising to expand Medicaid to more than 800,000 Americans on state waiting lists. And then he's going to pull the funding and make the states be on the hook. It's an extreme alteration of intergovernmental relations that put Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal and Lyndon Johnson's Great Society to shame. This BBB will force states to choose to not expand Medicaid, to have to expand Medicaid. It will force them to do so. It's a dystopian model in which the federal government manages every aspect of every American's life from birth to death, as long as they're on the government dole and agree to continue to vote Democrat. The coercion of states to embrace progressive policies doesn't stop with education or Medicaid. It's also planning to force states to adopt elements of the Green New Deal under the false pretenses and guise of environmental justice. Provisions include $250 million in grants to state and local governments to expand what they call equitable outdoor access to non-federal lands for members of what they're calling underserved groups. In addition, $250 million to support underserved forest landowners to assist in what they're calling climate mitigation and carbon sequestration and storage. These grants will allow national lawmakers to achieve Green New Deal goals by commandeering state and local government control over state as well as privately owned land. This will erase the division of authority between states and federal governments that were established by the United States Constitution. Through what they call conservative, I'm sorry, through what they call coercive federalism, the Build Back Better Act will confiscate states' powers as independent governments and then establish them as submissive tools to implement their extreme agenda. The dangers of the BBB extend beyond concern over legislation's wasteful spending on desert fresh, fish and freshwater mussels, on drug price controls, on inflation-causing problems. It will contribute to the national debt, and if it is enacted, this legislation will allow the federal government to fundamentally reorder the American system of government beyond even that which Barack Hussein Obama envisioned. Maybe he's behind the whole thing. After all, someone has to be pulling gropey Joe Biden's strings. That man's not mentally capable or competent to come up with such a subversive, coercive, progressive program. To preserve our constitutional federalism and states' rights, Congress must reject the Build Back Better Act, lock, stock, and barrel. And yes, that's a gun reference. Call your congressperson. Call your senator. It's already passed the House. There's not much we can do now there. Call your senator and tell them you want them to reject the Build Back Better Act because it is destroying the United States of America as we know it. That, my friends, is all the time. I apologize. We've run a couple minutes long here. But again, doing the program from the cell phone instead of the studio kind of makes it a little difficult to control the time. Go out there and make it a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are free speech protected under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Thank you.